0: A new contest will launch 20 new disruptive supply chain companies based on untapped, federally funded technology. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain. And this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. Tinder for Startups, Shark Tank on Steroids, Kickstarter for IP. That's how people are describing the Scale Challenge, an initiative piloted by the Center for Advancing Innovation with the support of the Walton Family Foundation. The idea is to tap into a trillion dollars worth of intellectual property developed with federal resources, yet now gathering dust on a shelf. That's how Rosemarie Truman describes it. She is founder and CEO of the Center for Advancing Innovation, the nonprofit that has developed a challenger accelerator model that invites entrepreneurs to present their best ideas for new supply chain ventures drawing on all that underutilized technology. Participants are put through a rigorous multi-stage process that includes an elevator pitch, team building, Idea cultivation, working closely with investors, and creation of a detailed business plan. The result will be a lot of inventions and new ideas seeing the light of day, and the prospect of true disruption in the supply chain sector. So, here to tell us about it is Rosemarie Truman. Rosemarie Truman, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm very pleased to be here today.
0: I'm going to start out by asking you to tell me a little bit about the Center for Advancing Innovation. Who are you folks, and what do you do?
1: So the Center for Advancing Innovation is a 501c3 based out of Bethesda, Maryland, and we are, or you could consider us, matchmakers. We take inventions sitting on the shelf that have been developed by federal labs, hospitals, and universities, research institutes, and then we match the startups with capital. We have actually been coined the Tinder for startups, the Shark Tank on steroids, and <laughs> the Kickstarter for IP. Okay. To give you maybe a little bit of background about these inventions, where we start, the United States spends about 140 to $160 billion a year on R&D, and a very small percentage of this R&D ever makes it out, 0.01%, actually. We have very valuable assets sitting on the shelf that have been developed by NASA, NIH, our federal labs, our hospitals like Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, as well as our universities like UCSF, and so on and so forth. So what we have done is partner with more than 100 institutions around the United States and some in Europe to gain access to their intellectual property. So we actually work with 170,000 inventions, which equates to about 500,000 patents. And so we start with the, this very rich pool of intellectual property, from which things like GPS, tempur the cure for AIDS, the first vaccine for AIDS, and so on and so forth, have been developed. Our our modern cell phone that we use every day, the basis of which has been based on NASA technologies. So we have very valuable assets sitting on the shelf. We go mine those, and then we source entrepreneurs through a challenge model for the entrepreneurs to compete for the privilege of launching a company around the invention. So we gamify the process, if you will, to create companies and and bolt talent around these inventions.
0: So the scale challenge, then, is is multiple verticals. I mean, we're talking today about the supply chain one, but that's not the only scale challenge, right? You do it for other industries?
1: Yeah, we have actually launched 300 companies over the last three and a half years. Of those 300 companies, 200 of them have been in the life sciences space, and 100 of them have been in the high-tech space. And so the SCALE challenge is the eighth challenge that we've launched. SCALE stands for Supply Chain and Logistics Enterprises. And essentially what we're trying to do with the SCALE challenge is disrupt supply chains to determine or transform supply chains to basically redefine how each supply chain works, the fashion supply chain, the food supply chain, the retail supply chain, and so on and so forth. So the the purpose truly is to transform the whole space. So it
0: sounds like you're really serious about that transformation thing. I mean, I'm sure you know the word disrupt or disruption is very rapidly losing meaning these days because everyone thinks they're a disruptor. Oh, uh,
1: goodness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But you're really out to do that. So, all right. So the scale challenge by that name is specifically supply chain. So walk me through this. It looks like you have actually four stages. You have an extended application process. You have an elevator speech. You have a business plan. And you have a startup. So... How does a company or how does an entrepreneur even like get the attention, like get into this and through the application phase? It looks like it's pretty detailed as well.
1: As you mentioned, there are four phases. So there are three ways to enter the challenge. One way to enter is you enter a team where you will pick one of the inventions that are the topics of the challenge. Literally, we're flipping the script with regards to how challenges work. In a normal challenge, what happens is a team will come into the challenge with their idea on a piece of paper or perhaps something that they have done some work on. And they all compete, 100 people compete for one prize, right? So you'll have 100 different wannabe startups competing for a prize. That's the majority of all challenges work that way. So we turn it upside down. So what we have done is gone through 16,000 inventions. We've picked 40 inventions that could be the topics of the challenge. We had a selection committee that then down-selected the number of inventions from 40 to 20, and those 20 inventions are the topics of the challenge. Just going back to what you asked about, how do you enter? Teams can come into the challenge and they can pick one of those inventions that are the topics of the challenge. And then literally we'll have up to 10 teams competing for each of the inventions. There are 20 inventions that are the topics of the challenge, just to reiterate. So
0: more than one team can compete for the same invention, even though only one is going to get chosen in the end, right?
1: Exactly. You Mm -hmm. nailed it. There is a possibility that more than one startup could be launched around the same invention. For example, with one of our prior challenges called the Space Race Challenge, which was based on NASA inventions, we had an invention called the Kite, where we actually launched three different companies from that same invention. And the way that works is that the teams are focused on different markets, and they're not competing for capital. The kite actually is a portable electricity generator. Let's call it that. It's a big ribbon made of, of piezoelectric energy, which has piezoelectric energy materials in it. It captures electricity at 100x the amount of times that a windmill will, could capture it. And it then is about 1,000 times cheaper than a windmill. But one team actually is using that invention for consumer use. You want to go on a camping trip, you can take this kite there. But then another of our teams is using it for B2B enterprises. So as you can imagine, these are completely different markets. There is a possibility of creating up to three companies for one invention. I could also
0: conceive of like two competing teams deciding to go into all together on, that would be possible, would it not, if they decided that they worked well together and they might want to do that?
1: Absolutely. That's why we're called matchmakers. I never thought in a million years that I would be a matchmaker <laughs> after being an executive at IBM, you know, leading their innovation strategy practice globally, working with Fortune 50 companies. <laughs> mm-hmm. now, we're, now I'm a matchmaker. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Now, of these 20 that you've chosen for, for the Supply Chain Scale Challenge, can you give me one or two examples of what – can you tell me what some of those inventions are that they'll be competing oh, yeah. to represent?
1: Yeah, they're very exciting inventions. One is an electric car. So imagine there's an electric car that can be made shorter or longer depending upon what you need it for. If you need to haul around some goods, you can make it bigger. If you need to get into a tight spot, you can make it smaller. It's electric. Oh, like an
0: accordion it's, car or something like an, that? An, I'm an an trying an, to picture accord-
1: this. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's a perfect metaphor. The wheels on this car turn in 360 degrees. So you never have to parallel park again. You can just turn the wheels in the direction and just slide it right in, slide the car right in. Everything in this car has, is fail-proof. So if something breaks, some other system will come up and account for it. It is made out of titanium, and it's indestructible almost. So mm-hmm. this car, as you can imagine, could be very useful to move things around in a big warehouse, distribution center, etc. That's one very exciting invention. Another exciting invention is the Robonaut. The Robonaut is in its third generation from NASA. It has been in the International Space Station for eight years. The Robonaut can learn from humans. It's a very exciting robot that could revolutionize the current state of of robots. So those are two examples of some of my favorites.
0: It's all based, as you say, on technology that originally originated uh, with, with federal funds. In the end... If a team does win and moves ahead to monetize and create an invention and create a company and get invested, you know, go through the whole thing, the IPO and everything, does the federal government retain any kind of interest in that company or they basically wash their hands and say, here, take our technology, go off and make big profits and all we're going to ever see from you again is taxes based on it?
1: Ah, great question. So one of the journeys that we've been through at the Center for Advanced Innovation is to try to revolutionize how these inventions go from a federal lab to the hands of an entrepreneur. And we call it the licensing process. As a benchmark, about eight years ago, benchmark for general federal labs for a, a, a built product. For example, the Robonaut is a built product. That car that i just mentioned are built products. These products have been had millions of dollars spent on them, right? So they actually work. There, there's not like a prototype or anything like that. The average upfront payment would be about one point seven million dollars and within three years it would be about five million in. Now that's a generalized statement for broadly speaking federal labs and universities where there's been lots of money already spent on an invention. So it's a benchmark.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: what we've been doing is working with the federal labs on a new type of licensing agreement called a startup licensing agreement. For the hundred institutions we work with, they have all been extremely flexible and have agreed to a startup-friendly licensing agreement. Because no startup is going to go in, and especially when we're sourcing the talent from all around the world, the first step is that they have to raise $5 million. That's a non-starter. Like the maximum upfront approximately is about $2,000. There's usually no milestone payments. There are milestones, but no milestone payments. The patent prosecution fee reimbursement is variable across these institutions, for the NIH and NASA, there is no patent prosecution fee reimbursement. And so even if there's 100 patents on an invention, that patent prosecution fee does not have to get paid back. Future patent prosecution does have to get paid back. And then to get directly to your question, what's in it for the federal lab? If you look at the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, their maximum royalty on the back end is 1.5%. And for NASA, the maximum royalty is, is, I believe, 4.25%. So what does that really mean? It means that if the invention goes to market and it becomes a commercial product, for every dollar of revenue that comes in, in the scenarios that I just outlined, 1.5 cents Mm -hmm. for every dollar would go back to NIH and and 4.25 cents would go back to NASA they get royalty incomes. There is a lot of variability across the institutions. We have not been able to establish one standardized agreement across all these 100 institutions because they have different ways of negotiating. So some will actually take some equity in the company. Some will just have the royalty income. Some will have the upfront payment that I mentioned. But these are very friendly terms that the startups receive. So that's actually how the transfer is made.
0: What decides when they take equity and when they just want royalties? I mean, is that just the preference of the agency or is that a negotiation or what?
1: Oh, my gosh. That's a ball of wax. (laughs) (laughs) For the agencies, for federal agencies, federal agencies do not take equity generally. For universities, it's a different paradigm. They do generally, or I would say about 50% of the ones that we deal with will take some equity in the startups. And actually, you're getting to a point that – I am extremely passionate about because in my personal opinion, we should be able to standardize these agreements and actually make it so that there is a standard agreement across institutions for getting these inventions because it's almost like if I went to the store to buy Oreos and I had a million dollars and you went to the store to buy Oreos and you had a hundred million dollars where they're going to charge you a hundred times more for the Oreos than they're going to charge me. Because you have a 100 times more money. I believe that the future should be that we've paid for these inventions. We're the taxpayers, right? These inventions are sitting on the shelf. They could make an enormous impact to create knowledge-based jobs, brand new markets, to ignite entrepreneurship, to amplify entrepreneurial ecosystems, to change the world. Yet, a lot of these inventions are not just on the shelf. They're on the shelf in a dark room. They're dusty. The door is closed. The door is locked, and God bless you if you find them.
0: It seems to me that this has the potential to disrupt in more ways than one. You talk about the technological aspect of disruption, but you're also disrupting the very notion of value in the society. Like up to now, so many proprietary ideas that are patented by private companies had their origin in federal research, but the federal research or the federal agencies that did that research saw nothing from it. Now right. you're, you're proposing a continuing relationship whereby the federal researchers might continue to enjoy the fruits of their labors. And that, to that's, me, sounds like already a very exciting and interesting disruption.
1: That's exactly why I started my company. Because if you were to look over the last seven years, we have a trillion dollars worth of intellectual property sitting on the shelf that could seriously change the landscape of the world. To improve human health, to disrupt industries to really just change the way that our lives are every single day lived because of these amazing inventions. I mean, I'd love it because I didn't have to parallel park. I'd love the hovercrafts that are out there. I'd, be, I'd love to not have to be in traffic. I mean, you would not believe that technology sitting on the shelf. Yeah.
0: No, I can't believe that it's been on the shelf. It sounds so interesting. How, why has it been collecting dust? How
1: come it hasn't had interest up to now? So, First of all, to give you an idea of how this works, so this 140 to $160 billion that I mentioned, the federal government itself uses some of the money to build their own inventions. And then the majority of it gets parsed out to universities and hospitals. And the universities and hospitals will use these dollars to develop new things, new research in the form of a grant. That's how they receive the money. So they get the money, they develop their invention. And then the question is, what is the governance around where the money and how the money has been spent? and how the inventions are catalogued. There is not one single catalog that you can go to to find the inventions. There have been several attempts to put together catalogs of the inventions, but there are many barriers that exist to having institutions like universities and hospitals put those technologies in there. For example, if they put the technology into a central database, they have to constantly update it unless there's an API. So there's a technology infrastructure issue. But let me just explain... Right now, these inventions, they're in these universities, hospitals, et cetera. In order to find them, you need to actually go to each university website, look at the inventions that are on the list. By the way, 50 to 75% of the inventions will not be on the list that they have there. The data that is in one university versus the data that's in another university versus data that's in a hospital, it's not harmonized. There's no standard format that's used to get that data or to look at the data. You need to actually scrape all that data off those university sites, the web, the, the hospital sites, and also the federal laboratory sites. So first of all, you have to find the invention. Finding the invention is like a needle in the haystack. So that's the first barrier to mm-hmm. getting the invention. The second barrier is to evaluate the inventions. So the evaluation process, which I've been working on for 30 years, is complicated. It's different by every single sector And it's even very complicated within sectors. So for example, what we do, the very first step we do is we get the data. We then augment the data because usually the data that you're looking at is old. So then we have to augment the data because it's like if it's patent data, it's old data. It's like patent three years old. You have to figure out what has the inventor been working on for the last three years? What conferences have he gone to? What what papers he or she released? And so you have to have a full picture of the invention itself. Then you can start the evaluation process. The evaluation process requires... First, a multidimensional segmentation analysis because you need to be able to compare an orange versus an orange and an apple versus an apple. So, for example, just in cancer field, and then we're talking about supply chain and logistics. By the way, high tech is is so much easier to evaluate than uh, life sciences. But if you're talking about, for example, cancer, you have to segment it by indication. We can't compare breast cancer against brain cancer. You have to then segment it against is it a device, a diagnostic or a therapeutic. You then have to further segment it by, is it a solid-state tumor or not? And the list goes on. That's what's called the multidimensional segmentation analysis. So once you get it into a small bucket, then you can actually apply your due diligence. So that's the evaluation process, which is highly complex.
0: Okay. In the interest of time, I want to jump back to the scale challenge, though, and okay. the companies yeah. that are, be, are going to be applying. First of all, what's the timetable here? How long does it stretch over these, these four phases, and when do you expect to actually pick the so-called winners uh, by the end of it?
1: The winners will be picked in February of 2020. The phases are right now open for entry. Well, the first pre-planning phase was the due diligence that I was just talking about. Mm -hmm. We're open for entry now. I mentioned there's three ways to enter. One way to enter is to pick one of the inventions that are the topics of the challenge. The second way to enter is to enter an existing startup. If you enter an existing startup, that startup is going to be evaluated in all the startup pool. And the third way to enter is to enter an idea. And the idea can be an idea on a piece of paper. We're looking for disruptive ideas for supply chain.
0: Oh, so it doesn't have to be one of your twenty inventions. It, it can be something completely nope. independent.
1: We oh. nope. We, we totally op- we totally open the aperture. What normally happens actually, if people enter an idea, we usually can find an invention that already exists that is that idea. <laughs> so, so what we do anyway? Yeah, there are I mean, no we,
0: new ideas in the world, right? Yeah,
1: we marry that team up with that invention.
0: Do you anticipate that all 20 of the inventions you've chosen will attract entrants?
1: Oh, yes. They already have. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay.
1: We're, we're at about 60 entries right now. Uh-huh. And how many, uh, how many
0: are you anticipating getting total? Do you have any idea at all what the field might look like by the time everyone's applied? Oh, and-
1: gosh. That's always a good question. Well, 150 teams and then okay. 20 companies that will be launched out of the 150 teams.
0: And then you have yet to go. They've got to do the elevator speech thing. they got to do the business plan. And then, then then the startup phase begins. And at what point do the investors start circling the waters? When do the VCs start perking up and saying, hmm, this looks like something we'd like to follow? I mean, are, you, are they kept outside the door until the very end? Or are they no. sort of in, or no, are they in, the, in, in this all along?
1: They're, they're in the mix from the beginning. Oh. Okay. So they actually participate as mentors, as advisors. We put them into teams lots of Uh times. Some investors don't come in until the end, but what we like to do is have them participate all throughout the challenge so they get to know the teams and they get to know the inventions as well as the inventors.
0: Sometimes I worry about that word accelerator, though, because it just requires companies to move so fast toward an exit on behalf of the investors that it's not always in the interest of the company that it be that fast. But I guess accelerator from your standpoint is is probably a pretty appropriate term because you want to get these things up and running, right?
1: Yeah, we actually don't call our startups startups, we call them speed ups. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, so um, you're into
0: the whole speed thing then, definitely. Yep,
1: yep. And our accelerator mm-hmm. program is about eight months long and it's all virtual except for at the very end when we will actually be in northwest Arkansas, uh, where the Waltons are, because this mm-hmm. challenge is supported by the Walton family. But during the course of the challenge we teach 40 classes, twelve company building exercises. 16 weeks of hot seats, which are pitches. The Teams learn how to pitch like 30 seconds, 55 minutes, 10 minutes. They pitch their brains out. They get very good at pitching. 50% of the startup challenges that exist, our teams normally win. So of the top 50%, the challenges. Our teams win about 50% of the time.
0: You certainly have put them through their paces at that point. Now, regrettably, uh, Rosemarie, we're out of time, but I would love to get back with you and get you back on the show next year when the dust is cleared and we have winners and we have actual inventions being launched and find out where this is going. But so far, the the scale challenge sounds really exciting. So thanks so much for talking to us about it and about the Center for Advancing Innovation and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. But for now, thanks very much for being on the show.
1: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And for everyone listening, everyone listening, you are invited into the Scale Challenge. It's scalechallenge.org. We have a spot for you. Absolutely. Please contact me. You can get me through LinkedIn or you can write me an email at rht@caistartups.org. And that's startups with an S. And I am just so grateful for having the opportunity to be part of your show today. So thank you very much. And I'll say one more thing, the end of the scale challenge is going to be extremely exciting because we host a very large investor forum. So stay, stay tuned for that.
0: We definitely will. And we'll have all that information in the show notes of the episode too. Thanks again, Rosemary. Really enjoyed speaking with you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you again for your time and grateful for the opportunity.
0: That was my conversation with Rosemary Truman of the Center for Advancing Innovation, talking about the scale challenge for supply chain entrepreneurs. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain.